0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Peripod. This week I am joined by T53, 100, 200, 400 and 800 meter sprinter. European champion, world champion, world records holder. The list goes on and on. I am absolutely delighted to welcome Sammy Kinghorn to Peripod.
1: Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Ah, Brilliant, brilliant. So, you know, as I said there, you're a T53 Mm -hmm. uh, athlete but obviously that has its its boundaries in terms of the limitation that your body has but knowing you a little bit you weren't always disabled um and you know i think that's obviously it's a massive part of your story and a massive part of your life that you broke your back in in 2010 so f- for those that don't know how that came about could you talk about that and explain the, how that you know happened
1: yeah, of course. And um, so on the 2nd of December 2010, when I was 14 years old, my whole life was literally flipped upside down. And um, I had been home from school. It was the most snow I'd ever seen before in my life. And I'd been home from school for weeks because nothing could get in and out. One of my friends had even got blocked in, we were meant to be studying for exams, but they were all cancelled and I thought it was the best time ever thinking I don't have to go to school, don't even need to study for my exams. This is so good. And there's snow everywhere. Um but unfortunately living on a farm that means that there's stuff to do. So uh, our job every day was to make sure that the kennels were clear because the snow was honestly we had like 12 foot drifts of snow and they were they were going right into the dog kennel. So we were like clearing out all the dogs every day and um, just doing all the little jobs so that my dad could get about and do, do his job. Um, and on that particular day, the dogs had run out of dog food. So we went down to the farm to pick up some more. And as I was coming back up the road, my dad was driving in a forklift and I started to walk in front of him just to just annoy him and put him off his job really. And then I thought for some reason that it'd be a good idea to jump onto part of the forklift I still like, I still think about it all the time because I have no idea why I thought that was a good idea. Like I was always taught, you don't climb on machinery. You know, you don't don't have any mercy for human life. You don't touch it. And um, yeah, and for some reason on that day, I thought it'd be a good idea to climb onto part of the forklift um, underneath the main boom that comes down with them, like the big scoop on the end. So I climbed onto uh, in between the join of that arm and the tractor. And as I was sitting there, I thought that my dad had seen me. I thought he knew I was there and he didn't. And he started just carried on with his job. He started to lower the boom and uh, to shovel up snow. But unfortunately, that obviously caused a lot of pressure on my back. And I still remember like the immense amount of pressure on the back of my neck and just like the compression down through my spine and it was going and going and going and then just popping. I was so annoyed at myself. I was so, so angry, I remember just being like, you idiot, like you, for me, you know, my dad goes out every day to his work with a smile on his face because he loves what he does. And it's always been something we've been taught as a child, like life can be very long and life can be very short, so don't spend any other time doing something that you don't enjoy. And so uh, I, my first worry though, is that my dad was gonna lose his job. And my second worry was that in that moment, I'm, I'm gonna die and that's gonna make, the fact that my dad's lost his job and his his daughter's died so much worse I, mean, I felt so much guilt in that moment. I remember closing my eyes just being like right well you're not going to be able to open them in a minute you know that's it it's, you're going to be dead and you've done this you have to live with this and this is your fault and I was so annoyed at myself in that first instance and that's probably the first thing I still remember feeling was, was definitely guilt before I felt any sort of pain or anything like that to start with but after that I, yeah it was it was really weird it was really because I still remember it I remember even after my accident um they would taken to hospital and they were like right what do you remember and I was like I can tell you every single moment I remember you know eventually dad lifted up the beam and, and I realized that I was still alive and I was like I need to get out so I slid myself forward and I couldn't feel my legs but I could still move them so I was like running away from the, the the forklift and I knew that I had to run out and run to the left and make sure that dad could see me and I ran out and then I slipped and I fell. And as I slipped and I fell, they reckon that that's the point where my, cause I'd uh, fractured and dislocated. And uh, at the point I fell, that's when the di- dislocation happened and it hit my spinal cord like completely. Um, and then I remember lying on the ground and like, I felt like all well, my toes were like moving individually. And they're all like, like just like I had a really bad cramp up and down my legs and they were tingling and then everything just kind of like seized up. And I could feel my legs moving, but I couldn't make them move anymore. Um, like I remember every single moment um, in that first few hours of everything happening obviously when the ambulance came and they put me through all the all the, the painkillers under the sun that's when things start to get a bit foggy but uh, up into that <laughs> moment you know I remember lying face down in the utility room and um, my mum was on the phone to, to the paramedics and my dad was trying to clear our road because nothing had gotten in and out so dad was trying his best mm. having having to go back into to, to the machine that he just you know hurt me with he was back in that and trying to clear the road so that the ambulance could get through and I remember speaking to my friend and just been like I've broken my back and I'm never going to walk again and it, it, was, it was all very clear to me but I don't know why that's
0: that's incredible that's uh yeah, as you said, the fact that it was so clear to you and to remember yeah. something so traumatic so vividly um, yeah. must be, yeah, must be obviously very difficult at times, but so as, as you said, the doctors reckon that you didn't actually break it on the forklift. That was just possibly in just spinal shock, um, I, I guess. Yeah, you know, so was,
1: I think was, I think they obviously, um, so my, um, my spine was obviously quite badly stretched um, because of like the pressure that I was in such a bend um and mm. so much compression. So at that time my my spine was um stretched and it bled. Um and then obviously my back fractured. Um and then when I jumped out, obviously because it was an unstable fracture, it then uh went into into my spine. But they obviously they, they can't be like, Oh, yes, you would have walked if because they don't know yeah, the, the damage exactly. obviously the, the bleed in the spinal cord would have done. But there is a chance that, you know, it probably might have been a little bit lower or something like that if I hadn't. But I'm very, very aware that if I hadn't got out, would, the next time dad brought it down, I would have been dead because I'd moved position yeah. because obviously I'd lost um, like a stability on my spine. So I kind of started to slump a bit. So this time the, the top of the beam was on the top of my head. So if it'd gone down again, um, my head would have been crushed. Yeah. So I knew I had to, if I was getting out, had to jump all the way out and I had to jump and run fast it couldn't be a slow movement because dad would just bring it back down again and it's something that can it can smash half a ton so you know it's like it's not going to say anything to my little skull so I knew that you know I definitely had to get out there and then
0: yeah and you know I think just the Mm -hmm. that wherewithal to realize that you were in obviously you know massive trouble um and you know, the fact that you had, had that, you know, perception, like, I, I need to, it's, it's it's fight or flight, you know, it is, it is do or die. And the fact that you were able to to get out of there is uh, is incredible. And when, you know, obviously you said you remember lying in the utility room and t- speaking to your friend, like, I'm not going to walk again. And you go to the hospital and get pumped full of every painkiller under the sun, no surprise. But when did it, like, truly sort of become reality that this, you know, this is my life now?
1: So I was transferred to the hospital um, I, like I, I knew I'd broken the back, I knew that um, I wasn't going to be able to walk in. I didn't know that I was going to be in a wheelchair because I'd never met anyone with any physical disability before my life. Um, no one at all. Uh, and I just had no idea of adaptive equipment. I didn't know that was possible. So to start with, I genuinely believed that I was going to be stuck in bed forever. I think that's just, it still blows my mind to this day that, you know, that's not something that I was ever taught or it's something that I was ever um, open to because it's just, I'd never seen it. You know, I lived in a very small place in the Scottish borders. It's not something you see around here very often at all. So um, for me, uh, the first few hours, I was trying to plan what I was going to do with my life since I knew I was going to be stuck in bed forever. I thought I was going to be stuck in bed forever even. Um, I remember like my mum and dad coming into the room because they were the ones that wanted to tell me um, the extent of my injuries instead of the doctor and my dad could hardly even look at me and my mum just came in screaming like my baby we're so sorry we're so sorry and I was just like I just knew in that moment that I had to be the adult and I had to put on my big girl pants and I just had to say I'm going to be all right it's fine um, and that's all I said I just said it's fine it's fine and I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to get upset. So I just kept saying, it's fine. I'm fine. I know what I'm going to do. And I'd be like, I'm going to do an online my uni course that I could do from my bed. And I'm going to, like, I just, I planned this little imaginary life that I thought, you know, I just want to try and make it a bit better for them because I knew how hard it was going to be for them. But I hadn't really thought about myself or my life or how it was going to change really, because it's probably a bit too scared too. And I just wanted to just move in the moment. And I think I knew, it was my fault and nobody to stand there and scream at and throw my arms around and say, you done this to me, you know, I done it to myself. And uh, I was always, as a child, even, you know, quite aware of there's consequences to the mistakes that I made. And, and this was my consequence.
0: And, uh, you know, you said, obviously, you had to be to be the adult and, you know, you'd said, I'm going to be fine. And at 14 year old, you're, you're still a kid. You are, you know, there's no mm, completely around it. You are a kid. And I've found you know with, with stories like yourself and and you know meeting children that are not in the best you know position physically um due to illness or injury or disability it's they have this incredible resilience and this incredible mindset that just makes them like almost forget everything and, yeah. and just and just get through whatever's in front of them you know and I think you've you've summed that up perfectly because as a 14 year old girl who's just broken her back you're like it's fine don't worry about it I'm yeah. going to be okay and like Adults can't do that, you know, as if if, if you were to break your back now, it, I, I imagine it'd be such a different story as to when you were fourteen years old because kids just have that amazing like disregard for everything else other than yeah. just like just crack on with it and that and that's yeah. that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, so when yeah. you, on you go, sorry.
1: <laughs> no, I just want to say I like I genuinely think one of the biggest things that kids have on their side is like they don't they don't understand the fear. And they don't understand yeah. all the implications they just kind of think okay this has happened right what's next like that's it whereas adults they know you know if i, if I break my arm i'm off work for 12 weeks i'm off doing this and there's so many implications to everything whereas yeah. as a child it's like right well, this has happened that's a bit crap but we'll do this now you know that's and you know i am glad that you know when i was younger i was just a bit more happy go lucky like right yeah cool this has happened now i need to do something else because that's all i've got now so Definitely, I think as a child yeah. you've got that that bit easy to go in life.
0: Yeah, definitely. So when, you know, you said obviously you created this plan in your head, you're gonna do a unicorn from your bed and you're gonna, you know, live this life out from sit, sitting sitting down in your bed all day. When did you first get your first wheelchair and then obviously, you know, expand to trying out new sports?
1: So I um, I got taken up to the Spino Unit in Glasgow and even then still didn't know. Um I got on like a, uh, an operation to put um, spinal rods into my, into my back. And then it honestly wasn't until probably four to five weeks after my accident that um, I'm guessing at some point someone must have measured me, but I, I can't remember that part. Um, but someone must have measured me. <laughs> and then uh, my physio that it had been coming in every day and stretching my legs and I'd just been ignoring her and letting her do whatever she was doing because I didn't really understand what she was doing. and. Um, the next day she came round with a chair, and I was just be like, what? She was like, right, we'll get you up. You can get up for 30 minutes today. Like it was like, to start with, I think it was only like five minutes and then you build up your time in the chair. And so she was like, right, you can get up for five minutes. We'll take you around. You'll start rehab in the next few weeks. And I was just like, I'm allowed out and I'm gonna be able to move on my own. And actually like, that was so much better. Like to me, that was like, that wasn't a disabled wheelchair. That was something that was completely enabling me to live my life. I didn't see it as like a dis- disability equipment or disabled equipment or anything like that straight. Like I just seen it as something that was gonna enable me to to go and see my pals. <laughs> and I felt it like, oh, all I was like, wait, well I can I can push out this door by myself. I don't have to, you know, get wheeled around in a bed and everyone come sit by my bedside. And so I remember going in for the first time and I couldn't get you couldn't even get through a doorway. I was so confused. I felt so wide and big, but you know, I was I was so I was so chuffed with it. Just because yeah, i didn't see it as anything negative because I'd already had the most negative thing planted in my head, so anything that could better that was was a positive. And seeing them wheels, something that I was going to be able to, and it, you know, I was taken through the, the rehab center, and I remember seeing people be like being taught how to feed themselves and being taught how to transfer, and they just opened a whole new world to me. I think like spinal injury, it's literally the best way I can ever describe to anyone a spinal injury is that it's like being born again but you have the added frustration that you've already learned to all. And Mm. that's the most annoying part because I know how easy it was for me to pull my trousers up and how easy it was for me to jump into bed or do that. It was, you know, everything takes that little bit longer at the start and some things you're like, I'm never going to be able to, I'm never going to be able to put my trousers on again. So I was going to have to do this for the rest of my life. And then you you learn it just like you do as a baby, you you learn it and it's a new way of learning. But um, going through that rehab for the first time and and seeing people like, like going up and down little curbs and we had half a car in our physio thing to like show us how to transfer and I remember my physio being like you can drive at 16 when you've got a disability and I was like hang on a minute let me like phone my mum yeah this is <laughs> brilliant like, yeah there was just like it was so many different avenues and, and it, for me it was just it was a new lease of life and it was better than what I'd had myself prepared for
0: yeah and So you said there's this this new lease of life, obviously growing up on a farm, you have no other choice but to be incredibly active, you know, dealing with the animals, the equipment, everything that entails farm life. But was sport a part of that or was it just, you know, farm life and meeting up with friends and and just living as a young girl?
1: Yeah, so... Sport was always like a big part of my life. I always enjoyed sport, but it was definitely because I was a sociable person. Mm. Um, I think on every single school report card, it was I was told I was a social butterfly because they would try and move me around the class to stop me speaking, and put me beside people they didn't think I was friends with, and then I'd make friends with them. So I think for me, like as a child, my mum would put me into every sport because I always had so much energy. She'd put me into anything, and my parents were so great that they they gave me. Every, although we live out in the sticks and everywhere is a drive, and my mum and dad both work, you know, full time and. They always took me and my brother to, to anything we wanted to try. I mean, I was that annoying kid that I'd be like, Mama, I want to go here. I want to try this. And she'd buy me all the stuff. <laughs> and then I'd go, I don't want to do that anymore. My friend's doing judo. Can I do that? And like, it would just be something different. And I'd always want to try new things. And um, I'd never seen myself as a sports person, though. I never wanted to be a sports person. I never had them big dreams that you see them little kids saying, you know, I, I never watched the Olympics. I never. It was never something I aspired to do. I wouldn't have known anyone if you had asked me at 14 um, at that stage, I wanted to be a zoologist because my biggest idol was Steve Irwin, was oh, my biggest legend. idol in the world. And oh gosh, I cried like a baby when he, honestly, I Same. was, I was <laughs> like he was like he was my father. I was honestly, absolutely heartbroken. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I'd selected my subjects for. You know, I'd selected all the sciences, I'd selected everything to, to in order to go to university and study um study zoology. So yeah, coming into the world of disability, and then getting the opportunity to try different sports for me was like, yes, fantastic. Like, I love to be active. I'm 14 years old, obviously very body conscious. I want to do things and make myself <laughs> feel good again. Um, so that to start with, that's that's all it was. Um, I still didn't really know about the Paralympic Games and I went down to um, the Spinal Unit Games, which happens every year in April, um, down in Soap Mandeville, where obviously the whole Paralymp- Paralympic movement started, which is just an incredible place. But um, I had no idea. I didn't realize how fortunate this whole opportunity was for me and when I went down there we tried every single sport so it's like all the spinal units in Scotland England Wales and Ireland and they all come together and you do like a competition and the way that you win is that you pretty much try every sport you can and you get a little tick and it's how many sports you've tried compared to the other teams so I tried everything now, I've got an older brother so there is a competitive streak in there so I did I literally you know I'd done fencing I'd done uh, basketball we'd done murder ball at rugby and we we done tennis we, we literally I'd done as many sports as I could possibly do and I still remember the day they were like right we want to do athletics and I was like but I can't run <laughs> and I don't know what you're thinking <laughs> I'm going to be doing and I was like I was always quite good at running. My mum always told me I was good at running. I was like, I don't know what you're thinking I'm going to be doing um, in athletics. And I was just, I had no idea, absolutely no idea. And I remember going down and it was um, it was Nikki Emerson and it was uh, uh, Tanigay Thompson's husband, uh, Ian Thompson, were down there. And she was pushing around on the track in her chair and it was, um, it was white and it had pink stars in it. And, and I remember just like, it, to me, it didn't look like a major disability staring you in the face, it looked like, something that was quite cool and fast and the technology and the carbon and wheels. And to me, it just looked quite cool. It looked fun. It didn't look like, I just, all I wanted was for someone to say, yes, that's a sad thing that happened to that girl and she's got this story, but look what she's doing now. I didn't want anyone to always be like, oh, it's a shame. Oh, it's a real yeah. shame what happened, and just it's not a shame. I dumped myself, and it's like I've got that's it. Like I don't, I don't need your pity. I'm okay. I'm absolutely fine. Thank you. And I just that's all I wanted. I just didn't want anyone. And so I remember trying wheelchair racing and I jumped into a chair and I've always had a stronger upper body because my dad's made me lift everything since I was a ch- child, you know, I'd be right behind my dad the whole time on the farm trying to pick up everything he was picking up. So I was probably a little bit stronger than most girls my age and um, especially in my upper body. And I remember jumping into a chair and, and Ian Thompson was like, you know, you could be really good at this. And I think for them, those words um, to a 14 year old girl that has just had her whole life flipped upside down was incredibly inspiring and, you know, something that I genuinely took with both hands and I remember going home and being like mum dad I'm going to do athletics I just need 10 grand to buy a chair please <laughs> and my dad was like absolutely yeah, no biggie not. no biggie <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> so that's kind of how it all started and was yeah I guess that's uh, been a unit games after seeing that
0: fantastic I mean obviously I know you, you you raised the funds and you got the chair and you got going and yeah. you know you you set off at incredible speeds, uh, in terms of your career progressing. You know, as you said, you had this advantage of growing up on a farm. You know, you're you're basically just bench pressing sheep every day, you know. Um very, very so, <laughs> so, so so, you know, the fact that you said you've got this natural advantage because you're you're so young, you've already got the upper body strength that requires to push a chair, you know, because for anyone that's not done it, like if you ever get the opportunity, give it a go because it is bloody tough yeah, to definitely. hurl yourself down a track on one of those chairs. Um, but your career just took off almost instantly didn't it
1: yeah it was kind of mad because i even you know even when i got my first chair it wasn't in the thought of that i wanted to be a paralympian and it was um it was just something that looked really cool i love going fast and i was like that's yeah i'm going to be faster than i was before i'm going to be better than i was before and that, that was how it started and i managed to find a club in in scotland in glasgow red star and Um, I went mum and dad were so good again you know up to Glasgow it's two hours they drove me up there and and we tried it I tried out and I met all these other people and that's for me that was the first thing that really drew drew me in was there's more people that are the same as me and they're fine and they're laughing and they've got friends and they've got partners and that's you know for me it was just enabling me to see how my life could be Mm. and that's that was the first reason I done it was because I enjoyed it. And i met incredible people and yeah i, I guess my coach was quite quickly he was like right i think you're quite good at this we'll we'll take you um we'll take you to dubai and we'll get you classified and i was like dubai oh my gosh like, i was just <laughs> so excited that uh, you know my mom came with me because I, I was i was only 16 years old and she came out with me to dubai we got classified and um i started racing i was quite quickly you know one of the best in britain in my classification and uh, went to Commonwealth Games in Glasgow and that day was mental. Like, I remember my coach was like, Right, you're doing the 1500, and I was like, No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm absolutely <laughs> that's, not.
0: They that's shouldn't. quite far. <laughs> that's
1: three and a quarter times around the track. And no, thank you. I don't want to be doing that. And, I don't um, blame you. <laughs> oh, I did not. And so I was like, Fine, I'll do it. And so like, I remember he was like cheating me on, and I was just like looking at my rear lap, like, I, I have no words for you. No words. And I remember the bell went, and I was like, Oh, it's done. And he was like, no, oh, it means you've got one lap to go. I was like, oh, right, okay, I'll do, it. I'll do one more lap then. I'd done a lap and I came off the track and he was like, well done, you've just qualified for, for Glasgow 2014. And I was just
0: like,
1: I never planned this. This isn't and going there. Didn't even oh, want to do
0: goodness. it. Didn't even want to do it.
1: I, I didn't even want to do it. I didn't even want to do it. But <laughs> that day in that stadium, the best feeling that I've ever felt in my life. You have 50,000, like wait, mainly Scottish people absolutely screaming your name with a saltire on your chest when I never ever thought that I would ever represent my country in anything um, yeah that was incredible and after that moment I was like no do you know what I want to be good at this and I want to be the best in the world and I'm going to push myself really hard to make it and and do that.
0: And then so I mean the same year as Glasgow you've got the European Championships haven't you? Yeah. Uh, And I mean, you did all right there, didn't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm definitely a sprinter. 1,500 metres is just that little bit too far. Too much concentration for me. I'm not ready for that yet. But, uh, yeah, I came um, sick. My first Commonwealth Games, you know, made the final. I came sick. Then making the final was the only thing that I wanted to do. Um, And I was so chuffed to myself. And then, yeah, I think it was like literally, I don't even know if it was two weeks later, um, I had European Games. And um, the chance of a medal was, um, I was told, was, was quite secure. And that was quite scary, I think, for me. I remember... Um, I've, my brother's five, five and a half years older. So obviously, he left the house before I, you know, I was even really probably at the age to be allowed to play with him. You know, uh, he went to the army at sixteen. So we, we've always had a funny kind of relationship. Of you know, I know that he's there for me when I really need him, but otherwise, he'll just you know stand there while I knock you over. That was kind of our relationship. If you want to play with me, let me choke slam you. Then that was it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was my relationship with my brother. But I remember um, at Europeans, I was so scared. And I was spewing. And I was terrified. And I was like, I am want to phone my brother. And he was just, he was like, do you love it? And I was like, yeah, I really, really like it. And he went, that's fine then. And he was like, I don't care if you win a medal or any colour of medal. As long as you can come off that track and say that I really enjoyed it. And I, I love what I do. And I just like it was just one of the moments where I was like, do you know what that that is? What's important, and why am I getting hmm. so worked up about You know about this race that I've only really started doing, and there's not any pressure on, pressure on me. And then, you know, coming away with, with three gold medals from my first European Games was um, that was a phenomenal feeling. And after when you start winning medals, that just you know, that's like, right, I want more. I want to be in that podium. to yeah. See that flag go up high. You know, I want to see that, and it just inspires you to to keep going because it's it's tough it's really tough work i'm sore most days but um yeah
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i mean triple gold at your first euros you know as you said if if that doesn't inspire you to keep going like what will you know and obviously you know the following year you've you've got the world championships i'm assuming your great performance at the euros qualified you automatically for for the world championships in doha Mm -hmm. um and you then go from being the best in europe to third in the world you know that's you got bronze at the world championships like that's incredible that you know to to have the success of you know like back-to-back major championship medals you know it it makes you appreciate those tough days you said you're sore every day because you're working so hard and to to get the medal and be on those podiums like that's what it's all about isn't it
1: completely that's what we do it for you know it's it's a tough graft, and sometimes you, you know sometimes where I can't go and just hang out with my friends or have a takeaway or go and do that because it's like well I've got an event in a few weeks time and I probably need to try and keep my weight around about this and I need to try and make sure I'm eating this I need to make sure I'm getting 10 like 9 and 10 hours sleep a day because I'm a sprinter and I'm knackered and you know it's like yeah. my body's you know constantly fatigued sometimes it feels like but you know, when you go out into that stadium and there's a medal hung around your neck, it's just, it's, it's just so bittersweet, isn't it? It's just that feeling of, it's actually, you know, this has all been worth it. This is incredible, yeah. but, you know, it's every competition, you know, if I, if I get a personal best, I'm just, I'm so sharp. And I, it's hard getting harder now. <laughs> when I was that age, you got, yeah, I got personal best every competition I went because I was racing faster <laughs> and faster people. You know, and that was always so fun. You, you know, you, if you raced in Scotland, I'd get a PB and then it was like, right, I'm struggling to get PBs in Scotland. I'll go down south and race, faster people down in England and I I got PBs from racing faster people and it's like right we'll go to Europe and then it's like right we'll go against the rest of the world and now I'm like oh it's getting a bit harder to get them PBs now you're sitting (laughs) on that that brink of it am I going to get any faster and that's when it really gets scary again because it's like right I'm still I still need to get faster I know I can still get faster but um, everything starts to slow down that little bit and it's just the tiny little improvements that I just I find really amazing them little things that your body will give you them little extra bits that you're like I'm never going to be able to bench press more than this. And then you work up and you work up and you have these incredible plans and you're like, right, uh, I can now bench press two kilograms more. And you're like, I didn't, that day I bench pressed that once. I didn't think I'd ever be able to do any more than that. And you're like, it's amazing to watch your body grow.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of bench press, I'm, I'm sick to the back teeth of going into the Scottish Institute gym and seeing your name on the record board for bench press. Like, I'm like, can someone overtake her? Please, every time I go into the gym, it's Sammy Kinghorn, Bench press, Sammy Kinghorn, pull up. Sammy, and I'm like, what can't she do? Like, this girl is incredible. You know, um, I, that, that is, of course, a compliment and a testament to the hard work that you put in. Um, but you spoke about taking on the rest of the world. You qualified for your first Paralympic Games, you know, within five years of taking up the sport. You know, you, you fly out to Rio. Like, that's... That's almost unheard of getting, you know, you, you had one cycle to do it and you got to the Games and you
1: yeah you
0: put in a great performance. Um, I know you didn't medal, but uh, you, you you came, what, fifth and sixth in the, in the events that you took part in?
1: Yeah, yeah, I came uh, fifth in the, the 100, uh, sixth in the 400, and then uh, sixth mm. and fifth or sixth in the, the 800 as well. I, yeah, like I remember when I first started to, you know, I was asking my coach, um, can I get more sessions? I want to do it more. I want to be, you know, I want to get faster. And he's like, right, what do you want out with the sport? He was like, I see, he's not a pushy coach. He's not the kind of person to say, you know, I can see you being the best in the world. So I'm going to give you all these programs. He expects you to ask when you want to, you know, at, at the beginning, you have to show that you, you want that because it's, you know, it's hard work writing, writing programs for people. And so um, he's like, what do you, what do you want out of the sport? And I was like, I want to go to Rio. And he was like, ah. <laughs> it's quite tough. Uh, I don't know if we'll make all the way to Rio, maybe just and I was like, no, I'm going to Rio. That's it. I'm going to Rio. And uh the day I got my phone call. I was I as like, I'm gonna phone him. And going to Rio was incredible. But I didn't uh I didn't realise how much um athletes need to be mentally strong up until me going into the call room in Rio. I had absolutely no idea. I was still just doing it as a young girl who's having a whale of the time whale of a time and is actually pretty good at something she didn't expect to be very good at. Um that's all it was up until that point. And I remember going in real and the people that would normally speak to you now won't speak to you. And there's like everyone's silent in the call room and there's a couple of people that'll talk, but most people are just staring at you because it's now we're it's their livelihood. If these people don't win a medal, mm-hmm. they might lose funding, which means they can't keep their house, which means, and it, you know, as a 20 year old girl, I hadn't really had to think about that yet. I still was just really loving what I was doing and just couldn't believe my luck at where I was and what I was doing. So to me, I was just like, look at this. We're all, we're all at the Paralympic games where they're all like, this is very serious. This is, and then, yeah, I remember going to the call room and everyone was like so serious and I'm trying to speak to people and people are just like, like not even looking at me. And I've got this one woman that uh, barks like literally like a dog, like woof, woof. And I remember being like, should I be barking? Maybe I should be barking. No.
0: <laughs> like, no. <laughs> no, you shouldn't.
1: <laughs> but genuinely got in my head so much to be like, is she doing some, I've never been told that, but I don't know, like, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know if that's doing something. I was so like confused. And I just thought about everyone else. And I, I, you know, I'm 20 years old. I really care if somebody doesn't speak to me. And I was just like, I don't know what's happening. And Nobody's speaking to me. And I remember going out and just not doing as best as I could and, um, yeah the 100 meters I probably you know where my time was before I went in I probably could have come fourth and I uh, got disqualified in the 400 meters and then it was like the 800 and I was ranked uh 10th in the world and eight make the final and my coach was like right you know you've just got to throw everything at this it was like you know even if you're sore in the first 100 meters you've got to just keep you've got to just you know if it's worth it and I was just like I don't want to leave Rio. You know with what I've experienced just now I, you know I want to feel confident about my abilities in this sport because I know I can be better and um I yeah I went into the 800 meters and got I was I felt the lactic in the first 200 I tasted blood after the first lap and I thought oh, I'm never going to finish this <laughs> I don't know oh. and I like I got into the first pack uh, which I'd never been in before in my life and I just sat there and held on held on held on and I, I finished in the top top three in my heats, so I made it to the final and I got like an eight second PB and that was my first ever European record. And considering 800 metres is not my event, um, that's something I'm really, really proud of is that, that you know, in an event that I don't see as my specialised event, that's where I got my first European record because I really wanted it. I really wanted to make that yeah. final and I wanted to make it and know that I deserve to be there. I think after Rio, you know, I sat with my dad in the, in the crowd And I watched the girls that I just raced against in the final of the 800 and said, you know, next year it's in London and and I'm going to win a medal. And my dad was like, yeah, you just came fifth. (laughs) And I was like, how rude. You just wait, you wait. But for that, at at that moment in time, I believed in myself. And I hadn't done before because I hadn't really needed to. I was always good enough just to get there and get here. And I'd never really had to use my mental strength take me that a little bit further. And in Rio, that's when I needed it. You know, I needed to have that belief that I was good enough to be there and I didn't. And it wasn't until after the hundred meters where I was like, no, do you know what? I need, I need to be able to line up against these girls and look along the line and, and go, you know what? I, I deserve to be here and I'm yeah. good enough to be here. And yeah, it wasn't until I had little failures and little slip ups and, and the worries and the scares to actually be like, no, do you know what? The belief is it's bigger than the natural ability. You need to be able to believe and have have the the whole mental ability as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's I and mean, I totally agree. It's more than half of the of the game is is the mental side of it. You know, because you put the work in day in day out, whether it's like myself on the table or you on the track. Like it's the hard work on the on the track is is the easy stuff. It's yeah. it's actually you know it's the space between your ears telling you I can do this. I deserve to be here and. You know, as you said, that's something that every athlete goes through. It's something every every person goes through, whether it's at work or right in personal life. Or, you know, it's, it's 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 quieting those doubts and actually just backing yourself and going, you know what, I've got this. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that's such a good message to get out there. But you said, you know, you sat in the crowd with your dad um, and said, you know, next year in London, I want to I wanna be in contention. I, I, I want to, you know, say that I deserve this. Yeah. I mean... You did a not bad job it, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know. It was mad. You know, I came home. I, I like to think that I'm, uh, I'm fairly confident in, you know, my racing chair and my technical ability within my racing chair. Um, I knew when I came out of Rio, I was like, right to my starts. This is where I'm losing everyone. Uh, this And this, like, I, I watched all the videos back, and I knew exactly, look, the first push, I'm losing everyone. Right, I need a new chair. This is how I need it to be designed. And I was so lucky that I had um, Bromican and Loughborough, that I had my complete back end that I went down and I said, I need this. This I know what I need now. I never knew before, but I knew this is where I'm losing it. I think this is what's happening in my acceleration, and I need to change this. And they were so good at working with me and gave me, you know, it got me a new chair. And I trained really, really hard that winter. You know, like I, I was I'm busting. I got every single, especially on my last reps. You know, I killed myself on the last reps because I wanted to make sure that even if I thought I was tired, I still had more. And that was like my Mm. biggest worry was always like, oh, you know, when you start to feel tired, you think I'm I'm tired, I'm tired. No, I need to know that, you know, even I'm pushing myself tired up to eight reps. I'm going to do that ninth one because I need to, my body needs to learn that although it's tired, it's got another one in there. And yeah, I really, really did push myself. And I went to Arizona was my first race of the year, my new chair, and um, that's when I broke the world record in the 200 meters. And that, that was like mad, like proper mad, like it didn't. So it didn't get announced on the track, so I had no idea. So I'd done the race, and uh, my coach got the times of a world record mixed up. So I thought I I was just off it. Not that I was aiming for a world world record. It was a massive personal best for me, and um, I was so happy with that. And we came away, and I was making tea. I was making pasta, and uh, my coach was sitting over in the living room At the, the hotel we had, and he was like on his laptop, and he got a phone call. Made took a phone call, and he was just like, "Right, oh okay, right." And I was like. And he was like, you know, that two meters tonight, that you broke the world record. And I was just like, right. And I was like, right now, I'm not hungry. And I was just like, I didn't know what to do. And I was just like, it was the weirdest sensation. And I was just like, right. Like my dad says to me before the race, he says, you know, if something exciting happens, I want to know about it. And he means if I get personal best, you know, he's my biggest supporter and he wants to know. And so I looked at the time, me being in Arizona, and I was like, it's three o'clock, 3 a.m. 3 a.m. I can phone my dad at 3 (laughs) a.m. I phone my dad. <laughs> so I phone my dad and uh, he answered uh, the house phone. And, and he was like, I was like, Dad, it's Samantha. And he was like, hello, oh, and um, Does this mean something exciting's happened? And I was like, Yeah, Dad. And he was like, Did you get a personal best? And I was like, Dad, I just broke the world record. And all I could hear was him just like bawling his eyes, like waking my mum up, like, "I, oh, I just broke the world record. And it was just, you know, and that's, you know it's an individual sport. And you know, sometimes you have to be selfish in sport and you have to think about yourself. But when I'm on when I'm on that that track, I'm doing it for so many more people than myself, all these people that have invested time into me. And, you know, my parents are obviously the people that have invested the most time and especially my dad to have anything to do with my accident at all, which he had is always gonna play a part in his mind of what my life could have been and if there's any way I can soften that blow and help him to understand that, you know, I've got this completely new life and, and I'm really enjoying my life. Mm. It, that that helps me to know that I'm helping him. So breaking that world record that night and telling him was just that little moment of being like, I'm doing fine. No, I'm doing absolutely fine. And then, you know, going to London. Oh, my goodness. I, again, I threw threw up. I threw up before every race. I spewed. I was ill. I was like, oh And you get onto the track, and it's like you've inhaled the whole Sahara Desert. I was like, I don't. And then at one moment, I remember being like, I don't think I remember how to breathe. Like, oh no, I've lost it. I don't know how to breathe in anymore. And you're like, this is so ridiculous. Breathing's natural. Stop it. Stop it. And I remember like doing our like warm up, and being like, oh no, can't. Don't know how to take a breath in. And like, it's just like it's so ridiculous. The whole lap round, I was just like so scared, terrified, and. I remember going up to the start line and um, just kept put, like put my hands in the right position. I remember just saying to myself, "Right, your hands are in the right position. You've got the fastest start. Your hands are in the right position. You've got the fastest start. Just get out." all you can do, you've got that and I just kept saying that again and again in my head, and then I remember, like, the Olympics, the stadium, like, erupting, when they, like, called out my name, and I remember just being like, oh my god, like, this is incredible, <laughs> I remember watching, like, watching 2012, and watching the greats of my sport, like, Hannah, and Hannah Cockcroft, and David Weir, and succeeding, and that stadium was just, it's amazing, it's an amazing feeling, and coming over that finish line, and I, I broke the world record again, and I got a gold medal, and the only people I wanted, I get, literally, even if you watch the race, the commentator says that I'm going for the fastest, um, honor, uh, like, uh, honorary, like victory lap as well. Because I literally stop and I'm like, where's my mum and dad? And then I just sit <laughs> <shoot> around <laughs> and I don't even, like, take a moment to, like, take a flag or do anything like that. Because I'm literally just like, Oh my goodness, where's my dad? I like it. So I literally sprint it all. on, and dad are obviously on the home straight. So I'm like, sprint all the way around and just go and see my mom and dad. Because so that's for me that you know, they're the people that have got me to this stage when I couldn't drive, they're the ones yeah. that drove me there, and they're the ones that clothed me. When I couldn't afford to pay for anything, they're the ones that get me. Um, yeah, that was just it's a, yeah, it's an amazing feeling, especially home games. You know, it's, you can't be that. You can't be that.
0: You know, and so, so yeah, incredible achievement again I'm, i mean no one's surprised you know with, with the amount of work that you put in but how do you go from from doing like absolutely killing and breaking world records in sprint events to doing the marathon at the gold coast oh, how does that come about stop
1: it oh it was awful <laughs> it was so awful.
0: <laughs> oh gosh
1: <laughs> my coach honestly so like apparently i've got quite a nice stroke or whatever i don't know but uh, he'll be like to me you know, we'd go like I do quite a lot of stuff on the road, you know, especially where, where I was brought up and the Scottish Borders have amazing roads. So to start with, you know, my dad would just come and cycle with me before, I, you know, I was going on tracks and things. And uh, my coach was always like, oh, you'll be a beautiful mar- marathon pusher. Oh, you'll be. I was like, I'm not doing it. No, not doing it. And then, uh, unfortunately, my greed for wanting to go to to Australia <laughs> was a bit more than not doing a marathon. And um obviously at commonwealth games we don't have all the events there's only like this there was two that was the first time there was ever two events as well we had the 1500 meters and the marathon and I was like well I'll just do the 15 and my coach was like well you know if you're going you may as well do the marathon <laughs> <laughs> and so um yeah I blame him uh but I, yeah I went I literally came off yeah the world champs and we kind of said to ourselves that we'll try for this marathon and then you know we'll make sure that we're back for sprints for Tokyo that was it that was literally our aim. you know we won't write yeah. anything else in between we'll make sure we're back for sprints for Tokyo I've won a world world gold medal I want to win a Paralympic gold medal so was like right we'll do this marathon qualified in Chicago i got like the record for the fastest ever first time marathon it was awful I hated every minute honestly
0: oh yeah I so bet <laughs>
1: It's so like my You've got chair, a knack
0: for doing things you don't want
1: to do. Oh, I know. It's because I can't say no. My coach knows this as well. I think he led me straight. It's so mean. I can't say no. He's literally like, go on. I'm like, right, okay. And oh my goodness. Like I literally, he's got a photo of me. And I'm like warming up and I'm just glaring at him. Like, hey, don't, you made me do this. But I had a problem with my chair as well. So my chair got a bit knocked in the flight over. So my wheel was um, on one side was slightly further out than the other one which meant that for the full 26.2, also only up until about five weeks before the marathon, I thought a marathon was 24 miles, genuinely five weeks, <laughs> five weeks before my coach was like, what do you mean 24? And he was like, it's 26.2. And I was like, I've only signed up for 24. <laughs> I've only signed up for 24. I'm stopping after this. I didn't have no idea. I just, nope, had no oh, idea whatsoever. So that was, that was nice. And, um, yeah, so the whole marathon, my arm was rubbing against the wheel. So I had like plasters over my thumbs um, and I my arm was bleeding so bad that like at one point I had to stop, take the plaster off my thumb and like put it on in my arm and then that wore oh. through. And so like I remember like, at one point I knew there was obviously all I was going for was a time to qualify for Commonwealth Games but I can't do anything I have to. If I'm trying, I'm trying. you know, So I busted a gut, I got myself into a really good pack. I was really, really lucky that the the marathon that I'd done, there was loads of um, participants. So I managed to get into a nice little pack. And I remember at one point, um, one of the girls I was pushing with, she was like, you know, you're bleeding. <laughs> and I was like, yes, as I'm fully aware <laughs> that there is blood filling into my glove right now. And it was just like literally running all the way down my arm. So my whole wheel was just red on one side because it was so covered wow. in blood. It was so stingy. I remember just finishing and it. Uh, my coach just had like a beer. He was like, you right. And he's like, he didn't <laughs> me to finish. and like." <laughs> He'd expected me to finish at like a two hours and five or something. So he was like, in the morning, he was like, right, well, I'll go for one breakfast now. And then, you know, I get into a VIP thing. And so I'll get a beer and another breakfast before and then I'll be ready there. And then he came round and he was like, I only had a chance to have one breakfast. And I was like, <laughs> I'm
0: bleeding
1: to death. <laughs> I had to finish an hour. I might have not made it. Oh, wow. End,
0: like, That's incredible. It so you're, you're back on the sprinting track now for Tokyo you're you're done with the marathons you're you're, you're sprinting in Tokyo that's the plan
1: yeah I done too and I think that's that was fine <laughs> I think maybe it's... when I get older and I can't sprint anymore my arms
0: fast fibers aren't
1: going as fast as they used to then I might take a look back but definitely not for a while not for a while it was you know and Australia yeah. was incredible and Commonwealth Games with it being completely integrated is a really incredible thing to be a part of and i really love going to the commonwealth games um but i still have so much to prove as a sprinter so mm. back to that further
0: brilliant and you know so tokyo obviously postponed for a year how, how has that impacted uh, your your training and stuff
1: yeah it's, it's it's been really weird um because i guess like 2019 uh I had to take some time out, I had to get an operation. Um, so that obviously knocked me off, you know, a big part. Um went to world championships and I just I didn't have that confidence. I didn't have that um because I didn't feel like the best. So I didn't go into the race feeling like I was the best in the world. So that you know, I, I won a bronze medal and I don't know how I had to, you know, I was off for four months um and I wasn't able to do anything because it was um light in my abdominal, so I wasn't allowed to crunch, I wasn't allowed to um, I wasn't allowed to do any weights at all because I wasn't allowed to put any pressure through through my abdomen so that was really hard because it was just like you can't do anything like, there's not even like I could tick over by you know doing a little bit of my arms because obviously you do you you use your core for everything so um yeah I wasn't like to do anything at all for four months and that was from uh you know I probably trained for five five weeks before world champs um but I wanted to go because I didn't want to do it it's like I didn't want to you know obviously I was reading world champs and I just didn't want to be like, oh, no, I'm not fit. And I wanted yeah. to go and, and just at least take the loss and take it on the chin and say, right, that's fine. And I really didn't think that I was going to win any medal. So, you know, I got, I got a really, really good time, especially in the heats. My time was so good. And um, then obviously I kind of panicked a bit in the, in the final and, and got a bronze medal, which, you know, again, a bronze in a world final after only five weeks of training that year's. I've taken that and I know that I'm going to improve Um so yeah big block of winter training again after that world champs and I went out to Australia and trained Mahana and uh, really pushed myself hard again and I was actually excited to race this year whereas like I'm still sick to this day you know if I if I have to race I'm still that person's being in the morning and um, forced myself to eat I'm ter- I am not, I'm not fun to be around in the morning before a race I know that but um yeah I was actually looking forward to it and it was um, I felt fit and I felt fast and I hadn't felt particularly fast since London so I was actually really starting to look forward to going back on and and sprinting Um, and obviously everything was just kind of turned upside down and it's more just the the unknowing like we've done a few races this year but I've never um I've never peaked for them so I've just trained through and um, so I've been sore in races and I've never you know it's been good times though which is really really good to see and I've been able to race in Britain a lot which is I don't normally do anymore very much and um, so that's been quite nice and I spent a lot of time and um, I moved back up to my mom and dad's and um, because I was living in Glasgow and obviously I was just like it's, I don't think the city environment right now is probably the best place to be for me because I need to train twice a day and I'm only allowed to go outside once and, <laughs> and then it's like yeah. is we so busy and so at least here we've got a private road um, and I can train up and down there and I've got bigger rollers and we have a gym in the garage, which was so, so lucky to have. I know so many people didn't have any access to anything like that for a long time. So I, yeah, decided that I'd, I'd move back in with my parents and, and do that. And it was really weird moving back into my parents as an adult and not <laughs> as a child anymore. But, you know, I, I got to spend a lot of time with them and we had barbecues and we did, there was some really nice, nice things and we spent a lot of time together. My dad gave me a pet lamb which are raised um, seen that I've
0: seen your little lamb on Instagram yeah she's gorgeous thanks
1: mm-hmm. like she's she's now a <laughs> I keep call, I keep calling her my lamb and dad's like she's a sheep now and I'm like she's, lamb. she's <laughs> my little lamb Um, but yeah but it was like it was really hard like because I always wanted one when I was little you know like working with a sheep was my favorite favorite area on the farm to look work, with. and uh, I always wanted to pet lamb and dad's like you don't have the commitment skills yet to look after a pet lamb I totally get <laughs> I totally get what he means now. So she like, she'd, I put her in a, pe- a pen outside my bedroom window and then she'd just meh every two hours when she was hungry <laughs> through the night. I was getting up through the night and thinking, pet lamb. <laughs> it was that awful. is incredible. She
0: was just screaming,
1: but she's, she's really good now. And it was you know, something that I've always wanted to do and something I probably wouldn't have been able to do for a very, very long time because normally I'd be away competing in way training places. So it was actually really nice to, to bring her up and, and see her and now she's... she's going out to a field with all her other and i'm keeping her and she's going to have lambs um, and <laughs> like next year so Probably, that's
0: exciting yeah. that's very exciting that's that's up there with, with tokyo you got you're gonna have, you're gonna be a mother to how many lambs that's who nope. into paralympic games <laughs>
1: exactly i'm, gonna, I'm so, gonna have a flock
0: <laughs> sammy the shepherd there we go um so so yeah obviously you know i I of course, want to wish you the best of luck with with Tokyo when it comes. I know that you're going to be as best prepared as you properly can. But before we say goodbye, I haven't told you about this, but we're going to do five quick fire questions. So you've got to be on your toes here. Okay. There's no thinking right. allowed. Uh, so it's just going to be three, two, one, go. Favourite Paralympic sport other than your own?
1: Skiing. Oh, no, it's not really, Is that kind? Of, it's no, come on, sport. come
0: on, quicker. Skiing. You've went skiing, um, we're going skiing. skiing. Favourite food?
1: a steak pie
0: oh love it favourite pastime cinema nice best place in the world Australia nice and best movie you've ever watched Dirty Dancing oh oh that's great I tell you what steak pie and Dirty Dancing that is fantastic (laughs) well done and skiing as well tell you what some interesting answers there I enjoyed that I enjoyed that um sammy you've been absolutely fantastic uh i've really enjoyed filming this i know obviously you've got things on today so i'm not going to keep you for too long but yeah i just want to say thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure
1: no thank you very much i've, no, I've really enjoyed it as well it's always nice to have a conversation and chat about things nice. thank you
0: a quick word from our sponsor is the turmeric Co. The Turmeric Co's products are quickly becoming the gold standard for individuals who are searching for products that can positively impact their holistic health with each ingredient selected offering extraordinary nutritional value. From the moment of launch, the Turmeric Co's primary goal was to help fulfil the lives of its customers through high quality, effective yet natural turmeric based shots. A range of proprietary blends in a shot format offers a convenient solution for people using turmeric as a regular part of their nutrition. No powders and no low quality filler ingredients, such as apple juice or water. Only premium, raw and absorbable turmeric root is used in every shot, with a combination of other superfood ingredients making this range an effective yet delicious option for people to support their daily health through natural nutrition. If you want to see these benefits for yourself, make sure you use code PERRY10 at checkout. You'll receive 10% off, you'll get 100% of the rewards. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe so we can get more episodes of Peripod out in the future.